Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Good morning. How are y'all? We're continuing today in our uh, current series, What Do I Do When? Two weeks ago, Pastor Randy preached on doubts. What do we do when we doubt? Last week, Welcome to it's always great to have a you know, multi-talented young guy, zealous and you know intelligent and so well in tune with the culture like Brandon to blow an old guy like me out of the water. It just blesses my soul. Praise the Lord. Good to be here with you all. There's an uh, outline in your, in your bulletin just like this. If you want to follow along, we'll uh, provide the fill-ins as you go. There's also information on there about the uh, Version Bible. And if you're using your Bible app, I can, you know, follow along with that. And also in the bottom, the back bottom of your outline there, you'll see there's a couple resources that may be helpful to you if, if you, after the message, if you, you know, want to go deeper in the topic. Uh, this, this morning's topic is on death, not uh, the, the funnest topic, but very appropriate, particularly uh, Memorial Day weekend, when often we consider those who, who have died, particularly, you know, those who have died for our, our country in, in noble, uh, you know, in a noble way to uh, lay down their lives for the rest of us to bless. I'm just going to bow one more time in prayer just as we start out, just give uh, the, this message to the Lord. Father, uh, thanks for loving us. Thank you for each one here. And Father, I'm so grateful that your word tells us your love is incredible. You say that uh, you've loved us with an everlasting love from eternity past, present, and eternity future, and that you've drawn us to yourself with your loving kindness. It's just amazing and powerful, and that you love us so much, Lord, that you want us uh, to be in your presence forever. It's more than I think any of us can truly comprehend, Lord. But Father, by faith, we accept that love. We are grateful for that love. And this morning, I ask for the freedom to proclaim that love along with uh, the truth that uh, you reveal. And as we grapple with this uh, difficult topic, Lord, we trust that uh, your spirit is going to enable us both to understand it, uh, to have comfort and wisdom. Lord God, help as we, uh, as we uh, you know, seek to tackle it, understand it. In Christ's name, amen. A uh, popular concept you don't hear about as much today, maybe as you did when 60s and 70s, is the uh, term fountain of youth. Um, the fountain of youth is this, this mystical water uh, that if you drink or to bathe in it, that, that you would be restored, that your youth would be restored. And I guess the implication is if you keep going back to it and keep being restored, you could live on in this mortal body supposedly forever if you keep returning to the fountain of youth. This concept goes back all the way to the uh, third century. We see some of the writings making reference to this. There's, there's been resurgence over the years about the fountain of youth uh, during the uh, 1600s, 1700s, when a lot of ex, uh, exploration was going on and people were going out and you know, you know, discovering new areas and frontiers. There was uh, this quest. Will they find the fountain of youth? Will, will youth be restored? Um, in the, in the mid-1950s, Orson Welles actually did a production, which was supposedly a pilot to start a TV series. And uh, he did it in 56, but it really didn't catch on. And it wasn't until 1958 it was actually released. 
And it did kind of stir again, put it on the forefront of our minds, this fountain of youth, this mystical spring that restores youth. When uh, my wife Julie and I, in uh, must have been what year? 2006, I believe, we were celebrating our 20th uh, wedding anniversary. We were on the uh, island of Puerto Rico, and uh, we, we took this uh, tour in a tropical rainforest, you know, which was pretty cool. Really, really great uh, tour guide. You know, a tour guide really makes the experience better. And uh, I, forget his, I forget his name, but he always told us he was number one and to come to number one bus. But a fun guy. And as we went through the tour, he stopped at this one place where this, this, this high, you know, uh, waterfall was was flowing down it was beautiful and uh, was filling up this pool and he said it was referred to as the fountain of youth so that caught my attention and i asked him about it and he said i said well i said what happens you know if i if i drink the water and he says well if you drink the water he says uh, you'll live more one more day you have one extra day on your life okay so i said what if i what if I bathe in the water? He says, one week. <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever. We went one week and one, one day. I don't know how he would actually verify that if there was a guarantee. But part of me wondered, do I really want to be drinking the water that other people are, are bathing in? That's, that's another issue you have to consider and how that would affect your health. So, you know, it, it was fun. It was interesting. And uh, though we don't, don't hear so much maybe the term fountain of youth today, the, the theme of, you know, being young and alive and good health and staying young and looking good is, is a prevalent theme throughout the American culture. I think you w- would agree with that. Uh, you think about all the money spent on cosmetics. Uh, if you've done any research on cosmetic surgery, plastic surgery, millions and billions of dollars, and that's ex- escalating every year. I have friends from California, and they say, oh, it's almost typical. The average person in certain communities, almost everybody will start getting plastic surgery at one point. It's become very common, you know, to spend money that way. Hair dyes and other means that we, we seek to do to stay young, to stay fitness. Uh, when I was turning 55, I came across a proverb uh, that said... Uh, the glory of young men is their strength, and the glory of old men is their gray hair. And I'm going to share a secret with you. I was 54 turning 55, and I read that proverb. Well, up to that point, I was, I was using a product called Touch of Gray. Anybody ever heard of that? Any, any, you don't have to raise your hands, man. Some of you may use something along that lines, but, you know, I wanted to look and feel young. And I got to admit, with darker hair, when I looked in the mirror, I felt a little younger. I felt a little more aggressive on the tennis court, you know, because in Naples, Florida, there's a lot of old guys. And if I could go out there young and spunky and feel younger than these guys, you know, and beat them at tennis, it, it felt good. But when I read that proverb and I was turning 55, I made a decision. At my 55th birthday, three years ago, I said, that's it. My glory is going to be my gray hair. We're going to go with that. Occasionally, you know, I actually thought about dyeing my hair today, Randy. Would you? <laughs> Occasionally, the idea still comes up. But I think, okay, I'm going to be who I am, you know, and trust, you know, God's given me. I do work hard. I, I try to eat nutritious, uh, you know, meals and avoid certain junk foods and things. Uh, Often I'm told by the doctor, my cholesterol slightly elevated. You know, it's not a problem, but, you know, eat less of these, more of these kind of things. Within the last year, my brother told me that 
Apple cider vinegar has actually been proven a way to lower your cholesterol. Check it out. Go, on, go online. Uh, the stuff is horrendous. Um, do not take it straight. In fact, I think it can take the enamel off your teeth if you, if you take it straight. But if you, if you take a couple of teaspoons and mix them up in something, it's almost palatable to you know, hold down. And I've started doing it. And guess what? My cholesterol came down. The last time I had my blood checked, Bam, it came down. Praise the Lord. Check it out. Apple cider vinegar. It's got like seven or eight different health benefits for skin and joints. It's amazing. So, uh, you know, I want to I wanna look young. I want to feel young. I want to stay active. My wife is the one who's the real tennis player. She got me into it. And it's a, it's a great sport. I feel I can continue playing in my old age. If you ever played with me, you'll see that I wear a lot of supports on my knees. And, you know, I'm trying to hold myself together after several injuries over the years. But I really enjoy it. I want to be young. I want to be active. And I think most of us would agree with that. And with all this going on, you know, you know with the emphasis in our culture, you know, the reality of death, you know, we may, we may shun it. We may even hold it at bay, okay, and not think about it. You know, not talk about it. Change the terms, you know. We don't talk about death. We don't even call funerals funerals anymore. What are they? They are a celebration of life. It's, it's nice. It's a nice little tone. Yes, we celebrate the life. Praise the Lord. There is things to celebrate about a life well lived. But it, it also, you know, it may prevent us from maybe really dealing with what has occurred and what the impact it has on us as individuals. And that's, you know, that's what we're hoping to do today, to get a little sense, not to be morbid, but to get a sense of the reality of death and be prepared for it and to live life well in light of it, because it is the, uh, the death rate is still fairly high. It's 99.9 something. It's, it's right up there. But the Bible gives us accounts how to deal with death. God did not leave us blindly groping. What's going to happen in the afterlife, what, what, what's going to occur and, you know, how will I die and all these things. The scripture gives us a lot of accounts of death. And uh, one particular that has, has, has hit me over the years and that I've used in, in different situations is the uh, count of Jacob and Joseph. Jacob and Joseph are both considered patriarchs in the early nation of uh, Israel. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph kind of carried on. Uh, after Jacob's passing, and their account is given to us in the, uh, in the end of uh, Genesis chapter 49 and 50. We, we see this, uh, the death of Jacob and how Joseph responds to that. So what I'm going to do is, is use that passage to kind of walk us through maybe, you know, four actions, you know, four, you know, four lessons, I guess you could say, lessons we learned from Jacob and Joseph, but then also actions in light of that and what we learned from them may be actions that we should take. So here we go. We're going to start with uh, Genesis 49, 28 through 30. It's printed there in your, in your outline. I think it'll be up on the screen behind us. It says, these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said as he told his sons goodbye. He blessed each one of them with an appropriate message. Then Jacob instructed them, Soon I will die and join my ancestors. Bury me with my father and my grandfather in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite. And you know, right, right here in the beginning, we see a certain amount of health 
and blessing. You know, Jacob knows he's dying. He's not trying to deny it. He's talking to family. He's given them instructions. You know, that may not be the case for all of us, particularly if a loved one dies in a tragic way. There may never be the opportunity to have those final words, to hear those blessings, to understand the instructions of a loved one. So, you know, we have a healthy you know, a model here for us that hopefully that's the case for us when we use a loved one, but it's not always the case. Sometimes the relationship is estranged. Sometimes we're not even in the locality of the one who's dying, but ideally this way, this is, you know, how it happened for Jacob and Joseph. Jo Jacob acknowledged his die. He spoke blessings to the children. He gave them specific instructions for his burial. And, you know, that chance to say goodbye, to express affection, you know, the opportunity to know and then to carry out the wishes of a loved one. Uh, that's, that's a pretty important lesson right from the beginning. It's not, it's not always easy, is it? It's not easy, I don't think ever easy. Uh, depending on that loved one and the relationship we have with them. But let's, let's move forward with four lessons we can learn. And the first one is we learn is to express your emotions. When somebody you love, somebody dear to you dies, probably the most healthy thing we can do from the get-go is express our emotions. We see this in Jacob's son Joseph found in verse uh, 33 there. When Jacob had finished this charge to his sons. He drew his feet into his bed. He breathed his last breath. He joined his ancestors in death. Then what? Joseph threw himself on his father, wept over him, and kissed him. I would say that's a fairly freed up expression of grief. He throws himself upon his father. He kisses his body, kisses him, and weeps over him. Joseph was a, you could say Joseph was a man's man, but he had no fear in expressing his emotions. It's, it's important for us to understand that tears are not a sign of weakness, folks. Tears are a sign of humanness. It's the way God made us. And guess what? We are made in his image. In his book, Live Like a King, Dr. Warren Wiersbe asked the question, if God didn't want us to cry, why in the world did he give us tear ducts? Why did he bother putting tear ducts in our faces if we didn't want us to cry? Yes, there are occasions that tears are appropriate and they should be used. The death of a loved one is one of those occasions. And we know that Jesus himself, you know, wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus when Lazarus dies. I believe it's in the early book of John. You find the account of Lazarus passing and how Jesus wept. Well, it's actually late. It's about midway through. And that's the shortest verse in the Bible. It's, it's John 11:35. Two words, Jesus wept. And those weren't little tears. That was sobbing, emotional, you know, all, it was just giving it all out. That, that is what we have the model of when we lose a loved one. But it doesn't stop there, does it? The second lesson we have is we accept the care of others, folks. Accept the care of others. Joseph didn't try to handle his father's loss alone, and neither should we. And if you remember the account of what Lazarus passed, and there were family, there were 
uh, you know, even professional mourners there, you know, weeping and things. Um, they did not try to handle it alone. We read the account of Joseph in, in Genesis 50. Now it goes on. Then Joseph told the physicians who served him to embalm his father's body. So Jacob was embalmed. The embalming process usually took 40 days. And the Egyptians mourned his death for 70 days. When the period of mourning was over, Joseph approached Pharaoh's advisors and said, please do me this favor and speak to Pharaoh on my behalf. And again, we see the, a healthy model of, of Joseph. Not only did he accept the help that his position provided him, if, if you know the, the, who Joseph was, he was the Israelite that was promoted to the second highest position in Egypt because of the favor that he had found with Pharaoh. So he had, a, he had quite an important role. He had great resources at his disposal, and he took advantage of them. And he accepted the help that others were able to provide for him. And they even went one step further. He wanted to do, carry out his father's wishes. So he asked for the officials, speak to Pharaoh on my behalf, because I want to return my body, my father's body to Cana, where he had requested it. And understand that there's no shame in asking for help, acknowledging we are help. We are mortal. We are finite, limited beings, okay? Scripture says when one is weak, the other is strong. Sometimes we're able to help others. Sometimes we need help for others. There's no shame in that. It's honesty. We're human, okay? And we should, we should take, take advantage of that. Allow others to care for us when we need it and even make requests for what we need. It may seem spiritual and humble to be strong. It may seem noble not to presume on others and ask for them help. It's not, okay? It's not. If we don't grieve outwardly, guess what? We're going to hold it in here, and eventually it's going to hurt us from the inside, okay? Take advantage of those who care for you. Take advantage of the resources that God has for us. You know, it, God says he comforts us, right? He comforts us through his word, through his spirit, and more often than not, and maybe even to a greater extent, it's through his people. People are what God uses often to bring us through tough times. How did God do his greatest work of salvation? By becoming human, by working through a mortal body like you and I have. Often his work, his help, his grace comes through other people. Uh, so accept it. The Bible is full of promises of God's presence for difficult times. Often when I read is Psalm 46. The Lord is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Praise the Lord. A great verse to call to mind and to claim during tough times. We know the Holy Spirit himself is called what? Jesus once referred to him as the comforter. And you know how badly we need comfort. You know, it's a great need at a time like that. And also through his people. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.4. <clears throat> he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Did you pick up on that? How do we comfort each other? We take our experience. We take what God has gotten us through. And we are particularly prepared now to be a source of comfort to somebody else who may be going through that same thing. 
Not to rush in and give all kinds of advice and try to fix them. We usually, the best thing we do when somebody is in grief or in some difficult situation is not giving advice. It's what? Listening. It's being there. Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. Just be there. Just be with that person. Let them talk. Just be there. God will use us. One of the privileges I have at Gateway is what we call working with the comfort ministry. Lisa Hernandez and Marilyn Nolan, some other y'all. When we do have a death here at Gateway, often we, we hold a service, and then we have a reception. And what a joy it is to work with that team of people that during a time of loss, they gather together, they, they plan a menu, they, they bring food, they, they serve, they help, they set up in such a beautiful way to bring comfort, working through people, God helping a family, helping loved ones in a difficult time. Praise God. God will use us if we're willing. If we're willing, let us let do that. If we refuse the help of others, we may miss out on a need at a crucial time. God calls us that, you know, to help and serve. Your, your experience may just be the answer to prayer of somebody else that's going through a tough time. Feelings are awkward. It may be outside our comfort zone. That's why we don't have to say anything. <laughs> be there. Show, show care. Show compassion. Do practical things. I remember as a child my mother telling me about a priest that when there was a death in the parish, that this priest would go to the family and his, he just had a, a very practical way of caring for him. He would go to the family. He'd bring his little shoe polish kit in the old days when you polish shoes, and he would polish all the shoes for the family in preparation for the funeral. Isn't that something? Just an act of kindness. We don't minimize how little act of kindness can bear somebody's burdens to lighten, lighten the load, to overcome some of the, the details. Because you think of when a person loses a loved one, not only do they have the, maybe the shock and the sorrow and the confusion, and now they're asked to plan a service and make arrangements. And, you know, we can lighten that load in very practical ways. Take advantage of it. Pray. Say, Lord, what can I do? Some simple thing may be all that, you know, you do, and that may be all they need but it may mean the world to them. Going further. Third lesson, engage the grieving process. Consider the example of what Joseph and others did upon Jacob's death. Continuing our reading from Genesis 50, it says, Pharaoh agreed to Joseph's request, go and bury your father as you made the promise, he said. So Joseph went up to bury his father. He was accompanied by all the Pharaoh's officials, all the senior members of Pharaoh's household, all the senior officers of Egypt. Joseph also took his entire household and his brothers and, his, his, and their households. A great number of chariots and charioteers accompanied Joseph when they arrived at the threshing floor of Adar near the Jordan River they held a very great and solemn memorial service with a seven-day period of mourning for, the, for jo Joseph's father. How about that? Now, if you, if you do the math here, think about it. They've already mourned for seven days, or se excuse me, they've already mourned for 70 days, right? In Egypt, which was the custom, 
First 40 days, the body was being prepared. Probably the last 30 days of that period, they had the presence of his body and would mourn with the family and the, the body would be in viewing. And then they traveled to Cana. Scholars have different opinions, but it was roughly an 11-day journey from where they would have been in Egypt to where they took the body, approximately 11 days. So then after 70 days of mourning, 11-day journey, seven days of mourning at the site, then an 11-day journey back. Can you be good at math? That is 99 days. 99 days of this grieving process. How many folks today take grieving that seriously and slow down and allow themselves to walk through that process? Probably, probably not as many. Um, often in grieving process, it's, it's curious, grief professionals tell us, six or seven weeks after the death of a loved one is often the most difficult time. And when I help a family walk through you know, the, the death of a loved one, and making arrangements, I often say to them, mark your calendars six or seven weeks from now. After all the emotions and the ups and downs and the arrangements and, you know, moving forward, there comes this darkness. It's like the reality sets in. This person's not coming back. They really are gone. And know what's most difficult about it. It's also the time that the rest of us have kind of gotten on with our lives and uh, we've, we've kind of forgotten it. We're, we're moving forward. And that's the same time this person is asking, does anybody care? Does anybody remember? Hey, a few weeks back, my loved one died. Does anybody remember? Do they care anymore? Well, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. We don't want to stir up memories. Folks, that's exactly what they need. They need us to talk about it. They need us to say, hey, how you doing? Let's go out to lunch. Let's go have a meal together. How about come to a movie with us? Another terrible thing I've heard when people lose loved ones, all of a sudden, their relationships change. Say they're a couple and they hang out with other couples. Now they're what? A single. And now the couples feel uncomfortable with the single taking along with them. I've even heard stories about some say, well, you know, now that they're single, you know, what if my spouse gets attracted to them? Whatever. <laughs> what if? They hadn't been attracted to them before this? Well, you know, uh, folks, get over it. Get over it. It's not about us. It's about walking with that person and holding their hand and helping them through a very difficult time. We, we can do it, okay? Everyone's grief is unique, yet there are common stages that psychologists tell us, and it's just not psychologists. It's, it's proven out. Whether we're Christian or unchristian, you know, um, there are psychological and emotional things that happen to us, and we ought to acknowledge it. Again, we ought to be real about it, you know, rather than trying to cover it up. These are not original with me. I found them on the internet. If you do a quick search, I'm sure you could find them. I'm just going to do a little bit of summary. Often after loss of loved one, there's initially there's, there's denial and isolation. There's like a shock. I don't want to think about it. No, you know, I don't, don't even want to believe it happened. And, you know, you know we just kind of deny the reality because it's it's, it's too hard to deal with. And this is normal. And it's almost like a defense me mechanism God has built into us because it may be too overwhelming uh, to deal with at the moment. And, and the denial is a way to maybe to block out some of the words and hide the facts. And, you know, it, it may help us through that initial phase. 
So don't be, you know, don't try to convince somebody, oh, they're dead, they're really gone, blah, blah, blah. No, just allow, allow them the, the space they need. Just, again, be with them, okay? Be with them. Anger is usually the next step. And anger, though it's tough to, you know, acknowledge and to express, um, again, anger may be a, a defense mechanism because of this intense emotion. We feel very vulnerable as we start, you know, to consider this, and we may lash out in anger. And say, oh, that's terrible. You're a Christian person. You shouldn't act like that. Hey, are you still human? Do you still live in a mortal body? Are you in a corrupt world with other sinful people? Yes. There are times to express anger. And some of you have shared stories with me. And uh, it's, it can be difficult. But understand, it's not unusual and we may say hurtful things to people. A lot of anger is often directed at the medical people. You know, why didn't they do this? What about this? I want to find out everything that was done to my loved one. I want to make sure someone's going to pay for it. You know, that's, that's very normal, okay? So you know, let it happen. If you, you know, and if you have to go that route, God, may he direct you. So don't, don't get freaked out. You get angry. Don't get freaked out when others are angry. Listen to them. You know, be there, care about them. Going on, there's the third stage is usually bargaining. Bargaining are feelings of helplessness and vulnerability. Again, we don't like this new reality and we're trying to resist it. We may go through a series of what we call if-only statements like this. If only we'd sought medical attention sooner. If only we got a second opinion, you know, before we went there. If only I tried to be a better person. If only I'd done this. If only I'd done this. If only I'd done this. One of my cousins was uh, uh, having her father live with her after her, his wife died. And uh, he had some own issues with diabetes and different issues. And he fell down the stairs and died when she was not home. What kind of guilt do you think she feels about? It happened 20 probably years ago now. What kind of guilt do you think she feels, Stell? She wasn't there. Why did she allow him to climb those stairs? You know, folks, those are real, typical scenarios. And depending on, again, the circumstance, the relationship, don't be surprised by them. Secretly, we may try to make a deal with God. You know, oh, God, if you could just do this or that, and oh, it, it would be great. It's typical. Let it happen. Don't, you don't have to hide from it, resist it, then typically as we start to realize what has occurred and the person's not coming back, depression is normally the next step. Two basic types of depression associated with grieving. One is just the uh, practical response and overwhelming of making the details and, you know, uh, trying to get a handle on what's happening. The sadness and regret tend to predominate this experience. We can even worry about the cost of the the funeral and what we're going to do and all this, all these things. Um, one of the things I do in my ministry, you know, dealing with families, I occasionally, you know, finances are a real concern. One of the things I do, I work with a funeral negotiator. I know a gentleman that helps families negotiate funeral costs. That's all I'm going to say about that. If that's something you have interest in, I don't, you know, again, I'm not making any how you say endorsement, but there are folks that can help you with those costs if that's if that is a concern. Another type of depression is more subtle and private. It's just, you know, that, that quiet preparation we need to kind of separate from the loved one. And, you know, just to, to, you know, 
talk about it and, and find that, you know, that place. And uh, this is a time, it's really good just to give a person a hug. You know, people need hugs. They need to know we care, that, you know, they're, they're, there's a sadness there. And we go on even in acceptance, the fifth step. You know, reaching this, this uh, stage does not come easy. It's, it's a, it's a, it can be a long process. And it, not everybody experiences it. Because of the nature of the relationship, because of what has occurred, not everybody will make it to this level. And that's a shame. Because if we get locked up some point, we will not be able to move on with, with our own life. I worked with a woman in another state that uh, had such a difficult time after her husband's passing. She had to be hospitalized in a psychiatric ward. And then even afterward, it took two and three years of regular care and ministry and comfort. But the, the, the incredible thing about that, which I praise God, uh, her family, though they were not very supportive at first, in fact, they, they criticized her. Oh, you're no longer grieving. You're just depressed. Oh, come on, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get going again. All that wonderful, helpful advice that just warmed her heart. No, it did not, okay? But you know what? She worked through it. She kept with it. She returned to work. She, she, her and her husband had a, had a home business, and then she had to go back and, and actually end up doing factory work and uh, being in, in situations maybe where the language and the innuendos were crude and it was hard. She persevered. She did it. And in recent years following that experience, guess who became the strong one when other people in the family died? She did, okay? Give people their opportunity to grieve. Support them. Don't make judgments on what way happening. And this, this period of acceptance doesn't mean necessarily, oh, now I'm all happy, everything's fine. No, it's just, it's an ability to move on and go forward Okay, it's not necessarily happiness, but it's different from the depression. It's more of a going forward now, coping with the loss, you know, and it's starting to realize that life still goes on. Grieving is a very personal experience, and it has no time limit, and there's no right way to do it. And yet, if you'll take a moment, uh, turn your attention to the screen, we're going we're gonna to see one person's experience of grief and their story of grief. Early on in my grief, after my son was, was killed in a fire, I went to my pastor, and I sat down in his office. It was about a week into it. And I said, I don't know how to do this. Please, please tell me how to do this the right way. I wanted to make sure that I did it the right way. And had the best advice that he gave me at that point, and it's carried me through, so I know that it's accurate was experience the grief. Don't hold anything back. Let it take you where it will. Feel it, smell it, embrace it, and don't try to run away from it. So there was a lot of wallowing around and self-pity and trying to figure out, you know, is there a God? You know, why would he do this? Asking all those difficult questions that even though you've been raised a Christian, they still rare their ugly heads and so I did find out by immersing myself in God's word what I really did believe about God uh, so much so that my favorite scripture and it plastered on my wall at home trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight that's from Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 
and I did embrace that scripture because what I learned by this immersion in God's word was that God is in control and I didn't need to be asking the why of this loss but the who of this loss and so that carried me a long way and then finally I have a prayer on my wall I think that says it all I plaster things on my wall if I don't want to get them and this one says it came from a book that meant so much to me it says Heavenly Father give me a faith and trust that is equal to the testings and trials of life so that like Job I will come forth as God. Amen. Yes, God. Amen. That is Tish Taylor for you all that know Tish. Delightful lady who's experienced profound grief. And guess what Tish does now? She leads our Grief Share Ministry, along with Benton White and Diane McGuire. Both of them have experienced profound grief. They, they minister to others and walk with them during these tough times. Praise God. Resisting the grieving process will only prolong it and the need for the healing that, uh, that takes place. So don't, don't do that. We're, we're all going to grieve, so why not grieve well? Why, not, why waste time getting stuck in it? Why not grieve well and, and take advantage of the, the help and support and God's, again, God's comfort? Uh, to get through that time with, with people that love you. Tish has experienced and testified to a truth found in Psalm 126, 5 and 6. It says, those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. You know, the implication is, if we are once again to have shouts of joy, if we are once again to enjoy the harvest of life, we need to take the time to weep. We need to sow those tears of grief, folks. Again, that is not weakness. That is humanness. That's just the way God made us. How have you dealt with the death of a loved one? I think most of us, if we've been around any length of time, we've lost loved ones. My experience is pretty typical. I lost my grandparents when I was young. I lost uh, certain people, neighbors, saw friends' parents pass. Uh, about six, seven years ago, I lost a dear friend to suicide. It was, it was very, very tough. Lost my dad back in the 1990s, and that was difficult. It was difficult in different ways. We didn't have a close relationship. And other than, other than my wife and children, it would be hard for me to imagine uh, losing anybody as profound as much as I love my mother. This is, this is my mother, Jean Lewis. My wife and I had 200 of these buttons made on her 85th birthday. We celebrate it in 2014. My mother's one of the most godly, loving women of perseverance and faith that I, that I know. She's not a robust person. She's actually very gentle, steady, prodder. And the longer she has lived and the more she has trusted God, the more beauty of God I see coming through her life. That day in 2014, over the 4th of July weekend, was one of the happiest days in the life of my family. My five brothers and my sister and all the in-laws and 
family members and friends. We had, we had close to 200 people there. Afterward, I tried to collect as many buttons as I could. I could only, only find three that weren't taken. I got one. This one usually stays in my office. I got one on the refrigerator at home. I got one on my computer at my home office. I love my mother. It's hard for me to imagine life without her. But guess what? The last three times I've been up to northern Illinois since July 2014, first two times I visited, guess what my mom started doing? She started sharing with me her funeral arrangements, folks. She did that twice. In the spring of 2015, again last fall, to, to the point to where she was pretty happy with the notes I had. You know how difficult that was? And I said, I cannot hold this alone. I got five brothers and a sister. I just can't hold these notes and wait for mom to pass. Okay, guys, this is what mom wants. I, you know, so I, I got hold of my sister and one of my brothers that lives close to my mom. And I said, I got these notes from mom. I'm going to type them up on a Word document. I'm going to send them to you. I don't want to be alone in this. I want you all you know, to be aware. And if you have questions, you talk to mom, right? And uh, so I, I did that. I told them that. That was like in maybe October of 2015. You know when I actually sent those notes to him? I think it may have been February. I think it took me about four months even to sit down at the computer, okay, to take those notes and to start typing out my mom's wishes, folks. I feel I've already started to grieve the loss of my mother, okay? I've actually been maybe mildly, mildly depressed uh, since then. And uh, that could be, and you say, oh, that's, that's bad. Well, it, it, you know, in a way, it may be good. It may be part of the acceptance of what inevitably will occur. It may be God's way of preparing me maybe to be, be there for my siblings when, when it actually happens. I don't know. I don't have it figured out, okay? Don't have to have it all figured out because we have a God. We have a God that does. At some point, we need to find what they call the new normal. This is the realization. The loved one's actually gone. And hopefully, we reach this point. We can move forward as Joseph did. And we see that in in Genesis 23 or 22 to 24. Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. Joseph lived to the age of 110. He lived to see three generations' descendants of his son, Ephraim. He lived to see the birth of the children of Manasseh and the son Machir, who he claimed as his own. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to the place and lead you out of the land into Egypt, or out of the land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph moved forward. He found the new normal. He lived on. He fulfilled his purpose. He recognized that. And folks, that is true for each one of us. God has a plan for each one of us. It may not be as grandiose as Joseph's was, but he does have a plan. Scripture is full of that. He's made us. He's he's created us. He's prepared works for us even before we were born that we should fulfill them. And Joseph is a great model of that. Understanding that our lives are a gift from God. They have eternal purpose. That can motivate us to continue through those personal journeys of grief when that special loved one is no longer with us. Psalm 90 verse 12 is a prayer in reference to this realization. It says, teach us to number. I'm sorry, this, this translation says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so we may grow in wisdom. 
with the knowledge that these lives, these mortal lives are temporal, but yet the kingdom of God is eternal. Don't you, don't I want to make the most of this life we do have? Jesus said, work while it is still day. Night is coming when no one shall work. To me, that says, make the most of this life. You got one shot out of it. One of the best ways we can impact those behind us is serving God and giving testimony to him. That has eternal impact. Rather than having a building, a statue, or a road named for us, why not have impact that will change somebody's lives for eternity? Amen. In conclusion, I just uh, want to make reference to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. I began talking about the fountain of youth early on in my message. Listen to this. The last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me a river of water, the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, coming down the great street of the city. On each side of the river there stood a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The Lamb of God and the throne, the throne of God and the Lamb will be there in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. There is a fountain of youth, folks. It's not a physical fountain. It's a heavenly fountain. And in fact, Jesus Christ said we can experience that today. John 7, he says, Come to me, all who are thirsty, and I will give you life. As the scripture says, Rivers of living water shall flow from your inmost being. Of this he spoke of the Spirit. God offers us in his Spirit rivers of living water, not just in eternity, future, but right now to experience his life that we'll never lose. Following this service, I want you to know the, our prayer partners will be down front here if you'd like someone to pray with, particularly if you're dealing with issues that may have been stirred today. Um, Tish Taylor has agreed to be out at our next steps area, which I think is out right out that door. So you saw Tish up on the screen. She will be out there next steps area. I will be out here at the first steps area out, out this door if you'd like to stop by and say hello. And I also asked Benton White, one of our grief share leaders, to be over on that side if you'd like to speak with Benton. Would you take a moment? Let's close in prayer. Father God, thanks for loving us. Uh, thanks for your goodness, Lord. Thank you. Lord, we do not have to fear even subjects that may not be pleasant, God. We just acknowledge, Lord, they, they do scare us, but you are greater. You are able and help us through. And Father, you know, you know us, you love us, and you promise to never, never leave us, never forsake us. And even though we do go through valleys of shadow of death, Lord, let us sense your presence, your rod and your staff. Let us know the comfort that's in Christ. Amen. Thank you very much. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.